we created this this Quest product back in in 2020 to make it really easy for protocols um, to incentivize users. Really, what we've landed on is uh, a product that makes it easy to define and allow list as a protocol and incentivize any on-chain action with a token um, and spin that up in minutes. Hi, everyone. This is Growing Web 3, a podcast that uncovers the growth stories behind the most successful crypto, DeFi, DAO, NFT, metaverse, and play-to-earn ecosystems. I'm your host, James RT, and each week I'll be sitting down with founders and experts on Web3 to pick their brains and learn about their growth stories. We'll discuss strategies and tactics to understand how they've grown Web3's billion-dollar protocols and communities. So whether you're in the midst of your own growth story or just getting started, this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we discuss Growing Web3. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Growing Web3 podcast. I'm super excited to have with me today, Brian Flynn, who is the founder of Rabbit Hole. Hey, James. How great to be here. So great to have you on the show, Brian. Um, yeah, I, I think we met like three or four years ago. And since, since then, like so much has changed. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's been awesome to kind of, yeah, watch your, watch your journey as one of like the, the growth leaders in the space. Um, helping projects, yeah, get more contributors, users, and scale. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, or tell everyone a little bit more about your background um, and how you came to, yeah, found Rabbit Hole. Yeah, for sure. Um, so maybe to take it back to the journey of how I got into crypto originally. So um, I, I got into uh, tech in, in 2016 when on-demand delivery was a pretty hot thing, was trying to uh, build a peer-to-peer delivery company um, using uh, smart contracts, actually, funny enough, because I was trying to cut out an independent contractor. Um, and after doing a bunch of research, I figured out, hey, this is probably like a 10 years too early. And so really, really just dove headfirst into crypto being like, hey, this, this thing is eventually how most marketplaces are eventually going to function with smart contracts uh, enabled in some capacity. And so kind of just watch crypto from the sidelines, but knowing that it was going to be really big uh, in the future. Um, 2017, I was looking to break into crypto and, of course, was ICO crazed and didn't really know what was going on until CryptoKitties launched in December of 2017, where it was really the first crypto application to hit 500 users um, that wasn't, you know, an ICO exchange. And it was like, hey, this is really interesting and a reason why most people are downloading wallets for the first time. Um, And so I I kind of uh, took a front row seat and just started writing about what was happening um, with CryptoKitties and NFTs as a whole, um, and it became the largest NFT newsletter in the space uh, in, in uh, 2018 as well. Um, from there, I became an employee at OpenSea uh, after I met Devin um, and worked there for a bit, and then joined uh, Dapper Labs as, as a PM afterwards. Um, in 2019, I became really fascinated by what was after NFTs and DeFi, I think, um, I was always interested in like, what are the types of applications that can be built in crypto? I never really cared about the financial aspects. 
Um, and a lot of protocols and applications at the time um, were really thinking about just, you know, how do I actually get uh, users using my protocol? Um, at the time, most people didn't really do things on chain. People still use centralized exchanges like Binance or Coinbase. Um, and I was really in interested in the question of, you know, how does crypto become known as an application layer rather than an investment class? Um, so in talking to protocols uh, back in 2019, you know, their biggest issue was all of my token holders are on centralized exchanges and not actually using my product. And so in, in starting Rabbit Hole, the whole premise was, you know, can we actually find better ways for protocols to engage users to use the protocol um, and have token holders and users become one and the same? Um, and so uh, after a bunch of iterating in the, in the early days, we came up with the concept of a quest, um, which is essentially a way to distribute tokens to users um, of protocols themselves in a time-based manner. Um, and so that is our main product today. And so we work with uh, some of the largest DeFi protocols and NFT marketplaces to help them distribute tokens to um, users who are using uh, different things on chain. So that's kind of the TLDR. There's a lot to kind of dig into and unpack there. So you saw NFTs like very much from the beginning, I remember, um, and also social tokens. I remember buying some jam. That was your social token, right? That was, yeah. that was for the, and that was like launched yeah. by the newsletter as well, I think. Yeah, I remember buying that, that was super cool. So yeah, how did, how did you kind of, yeah, go, go to focus in on DeFi protocols? If you were so early, to NFTs and social tokens as well. I mean, there, there's a lot there for sure. I, I think, you know, I spent maybe, you know, a good two or three years in NFT land and really came to the conclusion that most NFTs are just artificial scarcity um, and aren't really decentralized. And so what I saw across the board in almost all NFT projects, which really became true in the past two years after NFT bull run was lots of creators and projects selling NFTs upfront without ever delivering on a product, which is you know the name of the game through and through today. And so that really isn't interesting to me personally, right? I, I care much more about, you know, how do I actually participate in a network and actually, you know, have great value from that. Um, and so that just wasn't true when NFTs today, but I did see that, you know, in, in protocols like Maker that were actually decentralized, right? And so that's why I started talking to more of like how, what, what are the things that are actually decentralized rather than, you know, things that I can just, you know, mint an NFT myself and, and sell it for something later. Um, um, I think with the social tokens what was particularly interesting. I mean, social tokens, you know, no one really talks about social tokens today. They call it, you know, DAO. Really, right. Um, but that was really an effort because um, a lot of people were starting to realize that uh, once Uniswap make it, made it really easy to create liquidity for any token with Uniswap B2, so it was, hey, I can now create a token and now I don't have to use a centralized exchange to centrally list a token. Um, and now you, you had this explosion of the long tail of tokens and namely long tail of DeFi protocols. And so Really what I was trying to figure out was, you know, as a creator that has this large NFT newsletter, can I monetize it in a crypto native way, right? And so that's when we started uh, experimenting with token gating itself. So being able to use jams, essentially, you, you, you need to hold at least 100 jam in order to access the newsletter. Um, and came to the conclusion that 
um, it wasn't really an efficient way of, of building distribution, right? There, there was still like, you, you can have, you know, maybe like 50 readers that are holding the token, but at the end of the day, you need to create value as much as possible for the token holders. And token gating wasn't the most efficient way to do that. I think a lot of the other social tokens like FWB ran into the same issue down the road. It was an interesting experiment with FWB. I was like quite an early holder and um, I think, yeah, this, this idea of loyalty why like idea of like a SaaS model doesn't really work with tokens that well. And I think, yeah, I mean, I thought it was quite obvious early on, um, but it seems like people keep coming to that issue now. They're like, oh yeah, we sold our token, but now there's no recurring revenue. It's like, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's gonna be interesting how that evolves. Cause I know a lot of projects are now looking at, yeah, using NFTs for loyalty. And yeah, I'm kind of intrigued how that's gonna work. Um, or NFTs for like subscriptions as well. I'm intrigued to see how that works because it seems like, yeah, it's going to be fairly complex, but it'd be an awesome use case, um, to have like, yeah, subscription NFTs for content. Yeah. It's something that people have tried for years in this space. I mean, I'm Amber Unlock Protocol really, you know, pioneering that use case back in 2018. Um, and, and frankly, it, it never really took off because, um, at the end of the day, there's just still a lot of friction involved into you know buying an NFT for the first time. Most people are buying NFTs for a speculative use case, um, and so if people are buying subscription and it's it's they're not using it for consuming, they're using it to because they're trying to invest in whatever the underlying product is itself. Which you know if they're doing it for that use case, then there are probably other there are probably better investments out there, frankly, right? That have probably higher upside, which is why we haven't really seen that um, subscription NFT take off. Um, so I wanted to dig in to, I guess, how growth marketing for Web3 has changed. So like in the bull market, we saw, yeah, lots of crazy token incentives being thrown around. And uh, recently, I think there was a report on the Uniswap airdrop that um, basically showed that no one who received the Uniswap airdrop is really using Uniswap anymore and they're not like taking part in governance. And you know, there's this big thing over crypto Twitter like, oh, airdrops don't work or they don't really work. They don't work as well as they should do. Um, same with like liquidity mining. There's been a lot written about how it's not very effective, um, although it does like help kind of bootstrap protocols. I'd love to yeah, hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot here to talk about and, and maybe to like zoom out at the highest level, um, I think just to put in perspective of like where we are in the timeline, if, you know, I like to use the mental model of we're rebuilding the early internet with crypto, we're still probably somewhere in like 2001 or 2002 when at that time there really wasn't any you know, effective metrics to define like what a valuable website really was at the time besides visitors, right? And so right now what we're doing is we're saying, hey, the only thing that really matters for protocols is number of addresses that have interacted with this protocol as a whole, which 
really doesn't equate to increasing token value right now um, because these these tokens don't have any on-chain revenues um, that, that are programmatically baked into the smart contracts. And so we're still really early into like what Web3 growth actually means. Um, and, uh, you know, it took... It took years for you know Web two metrics to essentially pan out to the way what they are today, and has changed drastically even with the rise of mobile um, in two thousand eight. And so, um, I, I think we just have a long way to go into just defining what, what better metrics actually are. Um, in terms of airdrops, you know, I, I think a lot of protocols like Uniswap did airdrop not necessarily for user acquisition, but mostly just to get a token out there in terms of uh, defensibility. Right, um, you know, th they were threatened by uh, Sushi, which was, uh, you know, a, a vampire attack or a fork of Uniswap at the time, and they rushed a token out as essentially a way to provide more stickiness uh, with their users as well. And so, um, I, I think it's it's hard to really define. Hey, did, did they really use that as a acquisition cost for for retention, um, or did they use that as defensibility? And I think there's many different reasons why you would want to do an airdrop. Um, in, in today's world, uh, in 2022 of crypto as well. So um, I, I think many people are still experimenting with token incentives as a uh, as a growth model for a lot of these protocols. And you mentioned liquidity mining itself, which was really popular in DeFi summer, um, but has become less popular as people seeing them wasn't really sustainable. Um, and so it's 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 still the lines between like what token economics actually are and sustainable models and growth incentives to actually bring in users. Um, those lines are still very blurry. Um, and even most people in crypto are still really trying to figure it out. I definitely agree that the Uniswap airdrop, like looking at it now, like two years later and saying, oh, it wasn't successful. is like, you know, that's not the way it should be because yeah, it might not have been successful at, you know, getting people to hold the uni token and vote in governance. But um, yeah, at the time, exactly like you said, that wasn't like the purpose of the airdrop. And I also think it was, um, it was a really, like, it doesn't seem that innovative right now, but actually the way it was done was pretty cool at the time, like how you could claim it from the website and, you know, you saw your uni tokens and, you know, there was like a little bit of liquidity mining. I think they had like two pools open where you could earn uni tokens. It was like an ETH USDC pool. Um, and that was, that was all super innovative and pretty interesting. And it definitely like brought a massive amount of loyalty, I think, to Uniswap that people were just, you know, getting these uni tokens. Um, and I, I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, totally. And, and when, when that was happening, Everyone was convinced that we were about to enter a world of an acceleration of forks, right? And everyone was talking about the fair launch model of, hey, you, you don't need to, uh, you know, raise venture capital anymore and, uh, and you know, build a team. You can go straight to your community and, and your community can become contributors as well. And that's when we really saw the rise of DAOs uh, as a whole as well. And so... Uh, you know, two years later, and that didn't really pan out. But uh, I think still a lot of people believe that it kind of gave a glimpse of what crypto can become if we really solve this question of um, making it super easy to uh, fork protocols or to um, have uh, you know, vampire attacks left and right, <laughs> essentially. As and uh, I, I, that's really what how I see Web three growth, right? Is 
um, more so using mechanics like burning tokens and, and vampire attacks and using airdrops as, you know, growth incentives, essentially incentivize users to do things. Um, so uh, still very early in terms of like what those tools really look like and how they function. Um, but the interesting thing about Web3 is that, you know, we're all sharing the same database, right? And so we can see, you know, com users of, of competitors and, um, and what they're doing on chain and can target them directly to, uh, to do additional actions on, on our own platforms. And that's kind of what makes it so exciting is that those, those things in Web2 are just not possible. Um, and so experimenting with it uh, every day on, on the rabbit hole side um, to see what exactly is, is possible. I love that period of like power to the community. I thought it was awesome. It was like fork out the VCs, um, full full power to the community. And I mean, that was awesome with Uniswap as well. It's like, hey, this is a gift. You're our community, you're our users. Thanks for supporting us. Um, the protocol is now 51% yours, or I don't know what the exact number was, but I really liked how that it changed the narrative um, around token models to say, you need to give your community a lot more. Um, and yeah, some like sushi were giving a huge amount more to the community and others, like it became standard that people were expected to give like over 50% of tokens to the community or distribute them to the community over time. And I thought that was awesome. Um, it was a really positive change. And yeah, it really accelerated DAOs as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that after that happened, you know, why didn't we see more of that? Um, it kind of went back in the opposite direction, right? That's really when FTX took, took center stage and you know, started taking customer funds and investing it into you know, uh, diff different protocols on Solana as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's sort of a shame because that, that was a really exciting part of crypto, um, seeing what was actually possible um, in terms of getting users and contributors one and the same and using token incentives uh, as, as a way to do that. So uh, hopefully it, it comes back uh, in the next market. So well, maybe before. So what do you think are going to be the, the key trends for the next, um, yeah, the next six months, year when it comes to growth? So one of the things that I'm actively thinking about, and it's what's related to Rabbit Hole as well, is uh, all of the play to earn gamers uh, that was happening in, in the last bull market have transitioned yeah. to airdrop farming. Right. And um, now you have, uh, you know, millions of users across across the world uh, essentially trying to, you know, anticipate future airdrops and doing random actions in different communities um, as a way in, in hoping that they, you know, have some future wealth in, in some capacity. Um, and uh, a lot of protocol teams just don't know how to deal with it, frankly. Um, and they're kind of like being overrun by, by these airdrop farmers. Um, and airdrops were historically, you know, the best way to actually launch a token because, you know, it, it got tokens in the hands of the community and, and you had 
uh, always of essentially supporting those early adopters. But as airdrop farming becomes more popular, um, you're starting to see that a lot of protocols are trying to look for alternatives. That is, it's no longer the case that you can build an early community and and give them airdrops as, as a way of doing so. Um, and so that's something we're actively thinking about uh, with Rapidable, how, how we can support these uh, these protocols uh, a lot more um, with their token distributions um, as, as they trying to uh, you know, incentivize contributors and users to um, use their platform. Yeah, I mean, the airdrop hunters are getting pretty, it's like, it's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? It's like you uh, you increase the difficulty and then they learn quickly how to get around it. And there's been lots of like civil resistance that uh, different protocols have tried, but then, yeah, it's, it's an interesting problem to solve. And what kind of things are you, are you doing to solve it? Like more actions needed from the user or do you have like, Data, data, data analysis? Yeah, so essentially uh, our journey so far has been, um, you know, we created this this Quest product back in, in 2020 to make it really easy for protocols um, to incentivize users um, using uh, Sybil as sort of a filter. Um, and uh, what we learned over time is that a lot of, you know, users may be Sybil resistant um, and unique, but they were not exactly high quality. Um, and so we spent a lot of time thinking about what high quality users uh, for token distributions actually look like um, and on-chain reputation, but really came to the conclusion that it was too early. Um, just because you know, a lot of on-chain reputation today is you know, really proving to see if someone knows how to deposit tokens in a smart contract, more or less, uh, and not really efficient ways to prove someone is you know, skillful in any way. Um, and so really what we've landed on is uh, a product that makes it easy to define an allow list as a protocol and incentivize, uh, incentivize any on-chain action with a token um, and spin that up in minutes, right? And so now um, we essentially have a product that, that makes it easy for a protocol to, to spin up uh, a token distribution or an airdrop as easy it is to spin up an ad on Facebook essentially, right? by just defining different user segments or, or an allow list in the Web3 case um, and try and uh, activate those users on their own protocol or platform. Um, so taking various, a lot of similar learnings from the airdrop model and sort of providing an acceleration of it um, and making it easy for protocols to do multiple airdrops over short time periods um, over just rather than just a single airdrop itself. And so um, pretty excited to see how protocols are gonna use it. Um, we're probably going to launch it in about uh, a month or so. I'm going to look forward to using that. Sounds awesome. Coming to a close, and I have a question that I ask everyone, um, and I'm super interested to hear your answer. So if you were head of growth or CMO for a company protocol in the space, who would it be? Obviously, can't be Rabbit Hole. Oh, man. Um... Let's see, uh, it, it, it would probably be, um, it would probably be sushi, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I, I like it because it, it's, it still represents the first fork out there. And I think they have almost nothing to lose at this point besides to be really aggressive during the bear market. And so um, 
they they should just be as aggressive as possible with with what they have right now because uh, they're already at kind of rock bottom. Um, and so I think they could do some really interesting things um, by you know using their original DNA of, of vampire attacks. Um, and so I, I would love to see more out of them. And I and I think as you know, see them grows, we could do some stuff that's really interesting. They should expand a lot more. I know they've got a new CEO, uh, new CEO pretty recently. Um, and I think, yeah, he's got a fairly tough job. Um, but yeah, and I heard as well that they might have to, I think their fees are ending, their distribution schedules ending soon, or it's getting cut down. Yeah. You know, one of the problems with whether it's sushi or, you know, separating these other protocols is, um, they just take whatever, uh, whatever the hot protocol is at the time, whether it's like NFT marketplace, right. Or, or like a, a DEX or something. Right. And they just copy whatever, like the best thing is out there rather than creating net new products. Right. And, and I think that that is, uh, one of the biggest problems with the crypto space as a whole is that it's super reflexive in that, um, most, most people aren't thinking about what new types of applications actually look like, or how to use tokens interesting way, but more so, you know, how do we just take the best, how do we just create the best version of, you know, whatever the best thing is out there. Um, and it, it's just a factor of the space is moving really fast. And so, you know, when the space is moving really fast, it's just hard to have original thinking. Um, and so, uh, if, if a lot of teams want to have net new products, they'll have to kind of take a big step back and rethink a lot of things from first principles. Love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. If people can or want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the best way is through Twitter. Um, my handle is uh, Twitter at FlynnJam. Awesome. And yeah, I recommend following Brian. He has uh, some extremely spicy takes sometimes on growth. So catch you on Twitter. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing Web 3. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hypepartners forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening again. And be sure to hit subscribe to listen to new episodes first. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more.